Hi, this is the 100 Londoners You Need to Meet podcast, and I'm your host, Louisa Starling. I wear many hats, which is ideal for the weather in London. I'm a journalist, tour guide, content writer, photographer, videographer, restaurant manager, English teacher, and now a podcast maker, I guess. I'm a big believer in Emily Wapnick's multipotentiality concept. And what is this, you might ask? Um, a multipotentialite is someone who follows many creative pursuits, someone to whom just one true calling won't do. I came across this term while watching her TED talk and it resonated with me. I have never been able to buckle down with just one job. So I sail through my many passions every day and the glue that holds them together is communication and people. So here I am communicating with you. At the moment, I live in London and while there are millions of people living in this amazing city, it can also feel like a very lonely one. And that is the barrier I want to break. Introducing you to a hundred incredible Londoners, their stories and the multitude of jobs, parts and things they do to inspire you to take action, to start living your dreams, or who knows, to build the bridges that can take you to collaborate, to create something. I also want to see where this challenge will take me as every time I interview someone, they'll suggest someone awesome that they know, that they think I should meet and subsequently so should you. My hope is that this will create a chain of connections that will bring us all closer to each other. Okay, I'll stop with the introduction now. So just grab a cup of tea or put on those running shoes and let's meet someone new right now. <laughs> and we have Dapu Adiola today with us on 100 Londoners You Need to Meet. And I am so excited because this also marks the beginning of me interviewing people that were nominated by people I first interviewed. And you are the very first one, Dapo. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so- Honored, I'm absolutely honored. Shout out to Jacqueline for, in, um, for nominating exactly, me. Thank exactly. you so much. Exactly, Jacqueline nominated you. And as I've told you before, when Jacqueline invited me to talk about 100 Londoners You Need to Meet on BBC Radio London, I asked her to send me a little snippet and she sent me uh, one where you were being interviewed. And I remember walking home, like commuting, and I was like, wow, like I, I, I loved listening to you talk, uh, to you speak. So when she nominated you, I was like, yes, I actually really wanted to talk to you. <laughs> so there's a future in radio there for me then, I guess. Good. <laughs> just in case, just in case everything falls apart, there's a future no, no, in radio. No, 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 no. Why not doing everything at the same know. time? Everything at the same time. That's the thing. That's that's one of my biggest passions in life. Like I'm all about being a multi-potentialite where you can do many things at the same time, everything that you love and are good at, and all of those skills are transversal between, you know, different jobs. So why not? Maybe you can, you know, have a career in radio and then illustrate all night long. <laughs> I've got to sleep at some point though that's the one thing that I'm learning now I have to sleep at some point and I prefer it I'd prefer it to not be when I'm dead as the saying goes like I can prefer it not to be but no definitely no um I'm glad that I'm glad it resonated with you on that level the the actual interview itself and um I'm glad to be here man absolutely thanks, thanks absolutely. And I want, I want everyone who's listening to get to know you better as well. So I'm going to start with asking you for your background 
and you live in London. How did you get into illustration? So just tell me all the things. I'll try and give you an abridged version. So I, my name is Dapo Adeola. I am um, British born of Nigerian heritage. Both my parents are Nigerian. And um, as you can tell, I'm black as well. Hey, I'm black British. <laughs> um, and um, I'm a children's book illustrator and a character designer by practice. I'm also self-taught, which means that I didn't study illustration at any particular establishment. What I did study at degree level was graphic design. I was a a very poor academic student in terms of direction and focus so I actually didn't finish any of the courses that I studied um, I literally stumbled into my career in a haphazard but quite fortunate fashion in that and I say quite um, haphazard in that I couldn't predict anything that was coming but fortunate in that I was actually this is what I wanted to do if it makes any sense so um, just to give some background I studied art and design at GCSE level I got a B and then I went on to study art and design A-level and graphic design A-level, and I failed miserably at both of those. My portfolio got me onto what's known as a foundation course, which then once I finished, which was the best time studying I'd ever had. Um, and once I finished that course, it was a one-year course. It automatically got me, if I passed, it automatically got me onto a degree course. And then I, not knowing quite what I wanted to do at university level, um, and also lacking the guidance of anybody in my sort of life at the time. Um, I just jumped straight into graphic design because I thought it was a reputable job to do as an artist. I thought that, you know, if, you, if, if you're at a bar talking to somebody and they ask you what you do and you're like, I'm an artist, they might think, oh God. And if you say <laughs> I'm a graphic designer, they might be like, oh, Ooh. you know, so I thought, ooh, graphic designer, I can say that, you know, <laughs> like it's not going to make my mom embarrassed when she says that. So um, I went on to do that. It was graphic design and advertising. It had nothing to do with illustration whatsoever. But what it did teach me was how to look at images, how to break images down. Um, it taught me about all the sort of nuance and story that the layers that go into creating a visual, right? So that was something. So I, um, a saying I have is no knowledge is wasted knowledge. So once I finished the, well, finished, technically finished the course, I failed the course. Um, and to be honest, the failure of that particular course still kind of irks me today because it wasn't through any particular fault of my own. I had spent three years on a graphic design course, tailoring every brief that I had to allow me to illustrate not knowing that illustration was something that I could be doing in the meantime. Now, my, my um, issue with that particular thing is that there are, um, there are people, faculty members that are tasked with guiding me as a student who should have been in positions to offer me the advice and you know, the, 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 the knowledge or make me aware that I'm on the wrong course, that there is another course that would be better suited to what I do. Um, they didn't do this until the third year with in, in wow. basically the last quarter of the third year, I had done a whole dissertation about how to teach children different things um, through children picture books, right? I had rewritten um, a version of The Tortoise and the Hare as a counting book. I had done the character designs, the sketches, and my final project was gonna be a, a picture book of The Tortoise and the Hare, uh, you know, backed up by my dissertation, and that was gonna be my thing. And I got to the last quarter, three months left to go on the course. I literally written the whole dissertation and then I got told that I wasn't going to pass that I was going to fail because it wasn't a graphic design dissertation it was an illustration dissertation then I got asked have you considered taking an illustration degree and I'm like we've got like 
what, three months left of this course. You couldn't have told me this two years ago, you know? So I was really deflated at the time. I stopped coming in, um, if not for the grace of a teacher that I had in my first year, Craig, who's now a friend of mine. He called me in and he was like, Daps, your attendance has fallen off. What's happened? And I told him what had happened. And um, he gave me some great advice. It's so, it is, it is quite corny because it's so simple what he said. He's, he I like, love it. I love it. Tell me. <laughs> He was like, your artwork is fantastic. I love seeing your drawings. Just don't stop drawing whatever happens. And it just kind of stuck with me from job to job. I did retail um, for a couple of years and I started working in a gym as a salesperson. And then I was at, I was 25 and, you know, I had no kids. Um, I still have no kids. I had no kids, nothing tying me down. So I was like, well, if I don't try this now, I'm never going to do this, right? And one of the things for me was I never wanted to be one of those people because I get people coming up to me who do this while I'm drawing in public or if I'm looking at my artwork, they'll come up, they'll look over your shoulder, they'll be like, oh, that's really good, that's really good. And they'll be like, oh, I used to draw. And I was like, I never want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy in the future that walks up to some kid and goes, oh my God, that artwork is amazing, I used to draw. Like, wh why did it turn to I used to draw? You know, what? And, and the question I ask them is always, why did you stop? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I just didn't want to be that person. So all of that lit a fire under me. I went part-time at the job I was at, took a massive pay cut, and then um, started trying to stitch together an education in illustration. And that's still ongoing. I'm still learning so much. Um, I spent a decade, this was a decade ago, I spent a decade trying to um, just learn the craft, learn about people that came before me, learn what's out there, and also just become better at it. And um, I developed a knack for character design and character design for anyone who doesn't know is basically designing characters. It's just that simple. Like all the, all the characters that you love in animation, all the characters that you love in books, even film, they were designed by somebody before they actually became what you see and love. So I wanted to learn how to do that, how to tell stories in that way. Um, and then 20, um, in 2010, a year after I decided I was going to do this, my, my second year in, 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 in the whole step, um, I did a commission for my friend Nathan, who is the author of my picture book, um, look up, of our picture book, Look Up. Um, I did a commission for him where I designed some characters for an animation pitch. It didn't really go anywhere at the time, but it led to a really good friendship. And we kept tabs on each other's career over the five years. Nathan became a fantastically successful screenwriter and actor in his own right and um he started writing for children's tv and then he had an idea that you know he wanted to do a picture book and he was like okay i know somebody who can design the character so he approached me he was like daps i got this brief for you um i want you to design this character little black girl loves space big hair glasses and that was my brief and i was like okay cool i went away did my thing i based her on one of my nieces um who i love to death who's just a very curious soul so i based her on her and then Rocket was born. And then I joined um, Nathan's talent agency that he was with, merged with a literary agency. And he took uh, my work to the literary arm of the agency. Yeah. Um, my agent now, my, the person who's my agent now, Sally Ann, she called me in and she was like, Dapo, I love your work. Um, I would love to represent you. At the time, again, never had any agency representation. I was five years in the game. Up until that point, I had been putting on my own gallery shows putting my work anywhere I could put my work I'd set up my own thing like I was very much my own uh, business up until that point and I'd never had anyone represent me at that level so I said yeah she took our work out to the Bologna Children's Book Fair which is a big ticket in the children's book world 
um, happens every year, once a year. And she took our work out in 2017, I believe. And at the time we had the illustrations, my character designs, and we had a synopsis for a story. And I didn't know anything about this world. And now I know how fortunate we are or how good the story would have, the concept would have to have been for us to get what we got because I just thought it was the norm. So she came back from Bologna in 2017. She had, she was like, you know, a few people are interested in this book idea that you guys have. And I was like, oh, how many people? So she sent me a list on that list. It was like eight out of the 10, top 10 publishers in the world were on that list. And that's when I kind of had the first idea that this could potentially be something. Cause up until that point, I was just going along with the ride. Um, 2017, I'll never forget May, 2017, May the 8th. Nathan was in the country we met we, we went around London for a whole day and we met all these different publishers and I was under the impression that we were going to be pitching to them but then it flipped and they were pitching to us as to why we should go with them by the end of that day we ended up with three different book deals from um, three different book deal offers from three major publishers and by the end of that month of May we had 14 offers on the table for a book that hadn't been written so it was insane absolutely insane it ended up in a back and forth between penguin and bloomsbury penguin being the bigger publisher made us the bigger offer and we ended up going with them and look up was born and that is a short and abridged version of my background and my journey since that i'm three years in now this is my third year i'm starting in illustration three years seven books and one major commercial book award in to the game so here i am Wow. Wow. <laughs> well done. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's fantastic. It's been a ride. I, I, I love hearing these stories because they just, they just pump me up, you know, with inspiration and it's just, it's wonderful. So, wow. Wow. And, and it's and, been a and, ride. I, yeah, absolutely. And you were talking about, you know, failure at the beginning and, and then because you failed and it was failure. I, I, I don't think you use that word right. You know, it just, it's, well, let me give you my it, concept on what make, failure is now. Does it make you feel sad? Not at all. I mean, again, I, I don't, I can't be sad because I unknowingly at the time, because the thing is, as, as a youngster, you don't have the, the vocabulary for some of the stuff that you, you, that you find yourself doing, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I, I didn't know how to articulate what it was that I was doing. And my, my view on failure now is not, the norm I don't see failure as a failure if it yeah. makes any sense it's not a negative it's literally a learning process like it's it's you you should aim to fail if anything so that you can learn because if you're not failing you're not learning so for me um I was doing this without knowing if it makes any sense like every every perceived failure like so for example not passing those courses if I, if I had to report back to somebody, they perceive that as a failure. Oh, you didn't get the desired grade, you failed. You didn't get the degree, you failed. But I learned. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I exactly. learned and I went on to do, exactly. I, I went on to do, I went on to do what it was that I wanted to do. And if you look at the people that, okay, if we're going to do ratios, the amount of people that passed and got their degrees that are not actually doing what it is that we had all studied to do, exactly. that aren't even working Exactly. that aren't even working in the creative industry in any capacity yeah. like I guess I succeeded absolutely you know? so, and, and just the pressure as well for us to pick a course when we're like what 17 18 what's 17 18 life? like what the, you haven't lived and that's that's <laughs> the thing that I realized like you know I always say to anybody that anybody that's young that I have to advise I always say to them pick 
your course based on the job that you would love to do at the very least, at the very least, like pick the course as a means to get to the job that you want to do. Like that should be the thing. Like what is the job that you think you would like to have a crack at, you know, and pick a course that informs that don't pick a course because it sounds good or whatever, whatever. I, and again, I, I say that based on the fact that if I'd known that illustration was what I wanted to do at the time, I would have picked illustration as a course. You yeah. Know? Yeah. The same and to be fair, I good. kind of, yeah. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> well, I kind of, I kind of look at this with, um, you know, rose tinted glasses and I have to remind myself that, well, who knows, maybe if I pick illustration as a course at the time, maybe it would have pummeled the love out of me and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't love it the way that I love it now. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Cause sometimes, sometimes the education system can do that. It can kill the love of whatever it is that you actually want to do. So it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. And I guess, I guess that's one way of knowing if you love it. Oh, if absolutely. it makes any sense. That's one way of learning if you really love it, like to go through that grueling process. And that's the thing as well. Like I'm going through it now working on so many books with so many deadlines and all these things and I am questioning it but um I'm at an age where I know it's not that I don't love to illustrate it's just that I'm looking at the way that the business that I'm in works because it is a business I'm looking at the way that the business that I'm in works and how I can sort of take control of certain elements of it to guarantee that I continue to love to illustrate yeah that's what I'm trying to do right Oh, I can relate in so many ways in another field, which is photography for me, but I can relate in, in so many ways. And, and when I have, you know, younger daughters or friends of mine who have to pick their courses, I normally go like, just chill, just really just chill. You have no idea. There's no I, wrong. I, There's I, no wrong. I'm not working in what I studied for. Well, at the moment, I kind of am with a hundred Londoners you need to meet because I did journalism. I did yeah media studies but I'm a wedding photographer <laughs> can I can I um I, I have to ask you can I curse of course you can okay I just have to ask because sometimes I curse to, to say to get the point across but I just have to ask but like you know the, the the thing I say to people is like there's no wrong like if you pick something and you fuck it up there is no wrong absolutely like, just and then you've got youth on your side and it's it's so true what they say you don't youth is wasted on the young and you don't realize how much time you have because if I could go back like Jesus I hate that I hate thinking like that but it pops into my head sometimes I'm like if I could go back and tell 21 year old daps what I know now I'd be a force I'd be an absolute force to be reckoned with like and, and that's not even in terms of taking advantage of anything it's just in terms of chill relax yeah. don't be so stressed yeah like absolutely. don't be so stressed the like, pressure the pressure and then you know grading giving you grades and how much it affects how much you believe in yourself it's just and wonderful. how you view how you ultimately view yourself absolutely. and this is this is the thing that we don't get taught as youngsters again and I'm realizing now as an adult one of the biggest lies that we tell kids is that adults know what they're doing that's one of the biggest lies that we tell kids do, like do you the remember, adults know what do you they're remember, doing do you remember when you looked at grown-ups and they were in their 30s and you thought they had their shit together? <laughs> you thought they had their <laughs> shit together. And then you realized, because like not being funny, and this is gonna sound so like such a like like such a bit of an asshole thing to say, but you have to forgive me and understand what I mean by this. And if you're truthful, you'll admit that I'm not lying. My mom had me at 27 years old, and I look around at 27 year olds and I'm like, 
Exactly. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't know what the fuck she was doing. No. And that's no shame on a twenty-seven-year-old because I'm thirty-seven. There's no shame on a twenty-seven-year-old because it's all right to not have an idea, to not have a clue, to no. not know what you're no. doing. But at the time, we were led to believe that they did because they were just adults. And as as a result, I never hide that I don't know what I'm doing from any kids in my life. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't have a clue. Right? And if I'm like, if, if they ask me a question, and I don't have the answer. I'm like, okay, let's find out what the answer is because I I don't have the answer. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Right. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Or, or, or I'm not supposed to have the answer. The answer is supposed to be relevant to you. Like it's, there is no set answer. You know, sometimes answers are specific to us. They're specific to the person that's asking the question, you know? So yeah. And that's the thing, you know, growing up, especially in my culture, we are taught to believe that our elders have answers and they very, very often don't, like, they very often don't. And there's this thing, you know, traditionally, there's this, this emphasis that we base on um, elderly people having wisdom, right? But there's, there's like, wisdom and wise sayings, and then there's ap applied wisdom, if that <laughs> makes any sense. Like, and when I say applied wisdom, what I have a tendency of doing now, because, again, culturally, adults want to always be telling us how to live our lives, where I'm from. What I have a tendency of doing now is the saying is I don't accept advice from anybody that's not living the life that I want to live or isn't isn't even living the life that they wanted to live. I don't want your ah. advice. You can keep that. Can, can you repeat that? That is so good. You don't want to take like, advice. I don't take advice from anybody that's not living the life that they wanted to live or the life that I want to live. Like so, if you're not living any of those two, I just don't want your advice because I didn't ask for it. So exactly. Yeah, keep that. Exactly. Uh, oh, that I, I resonate so much with that so much. And I remember at a certain point when I started, when I finished uni and I was having all the normal jobs and then suddenly I started going a little bit, you know, off the beaten track uh, mm. with my jobs and people were worrying and what are you doing? We didn't expect this from you and everything. I, I realized that if I listened to them, it would be a very toxic influence in my life, not that they didn't do it out of love, they loved me and they wanted the best for me, but they had no idea what my path was or what I was trying to do because it had never really been done within the family. So I had to kind of push people away that were pulling me down towards me trying to find out who I was and what my dreams were. And I had to listen to, I call them the crazy ones like me. I had to glue myself more to the ones who, you know, believed what I believed and were in the same path in a way so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna throw a spanner in the love concept of that and I say that because again this is where my saying originates from a lot of people advise you from their own lens right mm -hmm. from how they live their life and oftentimes it's from a position of fear right and it's it's from either fear that fear because you're trying to do something that they've never done or couldn't do right or fear that you're trying to do something that they just don't understand so that's my thing, like, because I'm learning, even as I advise people, because I'm not like all knowing and all, all trying, there are fears, like deep fears that reside here. And I have to be careful that if I'm giving you advice, I'm giving you advice from a place that's free of my fear. And if it is from a place that's, you know, fearful, um, I have to acknowledge that. I have to be like, you know, if I'm talking to my niece, I'm like, okay, I wouldn't do that personally, because I'm afraid of this and this and this and this. Yeah. But if you're aware of those things and you go in and you do it anyway, that's cool. At least you are aware of them. Do you know what I mean? 
like it, it stops you from the disappointment at the end so like I'm very careful when I'm advising people and that's not what I find is reciprocated a lot of people advise me from a place of fear like what I'm doing right now the life that I'm living I'm literally the only person in my family doing what I'm doing and it still doesn't make sense to any of them because they nobody even I couldn't predict that I would be where I am like there was no guarantees you know but I still went and did it anyway. And that's not something that they do. They like safety nets. They like guarantees. They like things that are a sure bet. So that's why I say, even when we say out of love, I kind of have to look at it and be like, real love is you telling me and admitting that you are afraid and you telling me the whole picture and not just making me feel like I'm making a wrong decision. Absolutely. You are so right. You are so right. And thank you for adding that to, to my comment. That is so, so right. Thank you so much. Yeah. And because you are paving all this way um, that is like very new within your family and everything. I want to, I want to talk to you about uh, what made me become like very fascinated with your work, not just the talent that you have with illustrations and everything, but the path that you've been padding, uh, paving outside of, you know, drawing, you have been, uh, you created a support uh, Twitter. Was it, is it the hashtag? um, um Black British oh, yeah, Illustrator. Black British Illustrator. So I created a, an, um, it was it was so weird how it all kicked off. I was I found myself in a position a couple of years ago where I was like one of less than five, less than four even, um, yeah. black illustrators in the children's book industry in the UK, um, black UK based illustrators in yeah. in in an industry that's got hundreds of people in it, hundreds of illustrators, and I'm like, how would how are there like two of us? Yeah. Well, that's terrible and me and the other guy that was here um that is here Ken Wilson Max he's a talent guy he is um of an older generation than me so there's like 34 years between his career and mine and remember I told you I'm 37 years old so Ken started working in the industry when I was like three four years old right and for there to be that much of a gap between him entering the industry and my entrance into the industry it's a, it's it's what the hell what yeah. the actual hell <laughs> so here I am trying to find illustrators that look like me in the industry and being told that the talent just isn't out there. And I know that to, to not be the case. I know that there are many people that are like me who didn't envision themselves in this industry, but their work could fit, you know? So I put out a tweet asking for Black British illustrators to let me know where they are. The tweet started doing some numbers. A lot of people started showing up. Um, Macmillan, the publisher, a publisher that I work with at the moment, um, they had called me in just before we started our first book project together and they were like, you know, that's what's your experience like as a black man in this industry. And that's the first time I'd ever been asked that question because people always dance around it. Publishing, as with British culture, is very polite. They'll kill you with politeness. Like there's massive elephants in the room and no one's talking about it. Yes. So um, they called me and they sat me down, they asked me this question. And it led to a discussion about my experiences off the page and, you know, my concerns about the industry. And then, you know, to my surprise at the time, they offered, you know, their support. They were like, Daps, any ideas that you have, we're happy to help you with that. And, you know, it's led to us working together in a beautiful capacity. First event that I had for the Black British Illustrators Network was at their head office, and it was in May um, 2019. And it was such a really you know, successful event, the vibe was amazing. We had a panel with myself and people from various areas of the industry in the panel. We had a room full of 30 plus illustrators, a guest, a waiting list of the, another 30 illustrators that couldn't attend the event. So we knew that the event had the capacity to be bigger the next time. So that led to the formation of a, um, a Facebook group 
where I've managed to gather a close to 100 illustrators or people who want to be illustrators to try and just impart some wisdom and pull the curtains back about how it is that this industry functions and what you should be doing if you want a career as an illustrator. So that's my thing. But it's to kind of just shorten the gap, that 10 year gap, that, that, that 10 year sort of phase that I had to go through. If I can shorten that by a couple of years or the whole 10 years for you, then I'm happy to do that. And also just lift the veil because, you know, there's this, this um, secrecy sort of mysticism towards the industry that's perpetuated by people in the industry, that's been perpetuated by the industry itself. You know, people don't have a clue. How do you become a children's book illustrator? How do you become a commercial children's book illustrator? How do you do this? Those things aren't being shared. Yeah. You know, so my, my goal while I'm here is to literally say, okay, this is what I did. This is what I know. This is how it works. This is, you know, and it's been such a great, um, it's, it's received such great kind of support from smaller publishers and bigger publishers are working with me now. So we do things where we have like um, a Zoom session with like three or four illustrators who bring their portfolios in. We look at their work and then we have an editor and a, and, um, a designer from a particular publisher who will be joining us in a Zoom and then they will talk us through how they work, you know, how they commission books, what books look like, and then they'll talk through each person's work with them as well. So it gives people that industry connection immediately, like you get to see behind the curtains of what's happening in the industry. And if it, if it hadn't been for, you know, COVID and the pandemic, certain things would have happened last year that I'm still hoping will happen once things quiet down. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, that's that's putting your soul into it. In in Portuguese, I don't know how well it will sound in English, but we have a saying. The saying normally is that secrecy is the soul of the business, but I believe that the soul is the secret of a business. If if mm. you share it, if you teach, if you show the love you have for it, that's how it I don't finishes. think there's any other way that you can grow as a person. I just I don't I feel like to to not understand how correlated your personal growth is with the growth of those around you and society as a whole is to cheapen your growth i don't know it's it just you're not you're doing yourself a disservice yeah. and i'm not trying to sound like i'm not trying to sound like this all wise all knowing person because all of this was massively coincidental how it happened i never set out to be a pioneer in any which way I still don't consider myself to be a pioneer in any which way and I'll tell you the God's honest truth this is a short-term thing like and I say it's a short-term thing in terms of this capacity because it is a lot of work that I end up doing off the page like I'm working almost three times as hard as my peers because I've taken on this thing as well however my plan was not to have to do it for this long my plan was always to have to do it for a short amount of time so that the industry actually changes and I don't need to do this anymore, you know? So that's why I'm saying to you, it's not, I'm not bearing this cross forever. This is not gonna be, you know, it's not gonna be that. No, this is gonna be very much a thing where I'm doing it with a short-term goal in mind. So the short-term goal being get enough people into the industry so that the industry can be more colorful in that way. And it can be full of more diverse talent, you know? So, and, and once I do that, what's the need for it anymore? I don't need to do this anymore. You know, it, it, it goes from being the Black Illustrators Network to the Illustrators Network, mm -hmm. simple, you know? And, and the, did all of this began before or after you did an open letter? A certain this was before, letter. this was, was like this was, about. this was clean almost a year and a half before any open letter. So like, I found that my journey, um, 
my journey has been interesting in that in the last three years, it's gone from just wanting to be an illustrator to wanting to be an illustrator that champions my particular demographic and their representation mm -hmm. to realizing how disempowered illustrators are as a group and wanting to like champion that because I just I feel I, it's such a strange thing like it's a paradoxical thing for me like a comp uh, 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 an industry that relies so heavily on visuals right the publishing industry relies heavily on visuals yeah we cannot yeah. that's that's undeniable and for an industry that relies so heavily on visuals to to treat illustrators the, the way that they do and you know the thing is people will be like but oh you know where's the violin why are you bring it it's it's not even a, a woe is me situation illustrators get paid for the work that they do fair enough but then there are simple things that you could do that are actually just as important as paying us right and simple things like crediting us yes you know because if you're paying me but then you're omitting me from things that will bring me further accolade that's puzzling to me like the hierarchy of promotion is puzzling to me you you put author over illustrator all the time and it's just like you could have them both on equal billing quite easily you know and my my issue with things like celebrity books for example where you've got a really massive well-known author as the author the author should want to have equal billing with the person that's bringing their world to life visually i don't i will never take that back i i i i i am going to be an author myself and i will request equal billing at all times right i will request if i don't want equal billing let me illustrate the damn book myself you know so and i can so hey you know so <laughs> so so this is the thing this is the thing like if i'm going to be working with other illustrators it has to be equal billing it has to be, you know, I don't see any other way because the visuals are a vital part of the book. Otherwise we wouldn't have them, you know? So things like um, authors and publishers promoting a book and being like, oh, we've got this shiny new book out. Look at this book, it's gorgeous. And then you omit the name of the illustrator from any of the posts. That's, that has to stop, that has to stop. And also I learned, you know, through what led up to this letter is I learned how the publishing industry informs the world at large as to how to receive this these these books how to promote these books so if you as the publishing industry are not making a big deal out of the visual artists how do we expect the world to make a big deal out of them you know like they receive their, their cues from us yeah you know like uh, um you know uh, if you're leading up to the letter I'll, I'll let you lead up to it and then i'll tell people how it all came about no please please you tell me you you, you tell me the story <laughs> I, I, I just I, I'm, I'm a gob basically I talk a lot <laughs> um, please, um, please. this 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 thing was interesting so in I think July August we won um, a very prestigious commercial children's book award, yeah. the Warstone Children's Book Prize yeah. so we didn't only win for our category which was best illustrated picture book we also won best illustrated children's book we also won um, the whole thing so there are, you can win your category and then you can go on to be the grand prize winner so we won the grand prize as you well Nathan, yeah yes Nathan and I we won the grand prize um, for our book look up and you know again it's an illustrated book category that we won right so I say that because it's it's a very important part of everything it's an Ill if it wasn't an illustrated book category then hey you know whatever but it's an illustrated book category that we won and then I found that there was a bias when it came to the media documentation of 
our win and the bias was more towards Nathan because Nathan was um he had been he, he was an actor he'd been on screen before right so like um massive sort of media outlets like the BBC would, would they wrote a story where they focused on Nathan it was um Benidorm something like ben, don't this don't quote me on this but it was like something like Benidorm actor pens um joyful award-winning children's book and I'm sitting there like well it's an illustrated book he penned it but he didn't do the whole book by himself and again this is no slight on Nathan because Nathan had nothing to do with this this was the BBC and some newspapers taking it on board themselves to work in the way that they know how to work right and that was the first thing and I took that and I looked at it and I thought hmm, okay now there was enough praise going around so it wasn't like I was praise starved there was enough praise going around for both of us and acknowledgement for both of us but my thing is when you're thinking about the work that you put your name to right you are concerned with how that name is resonant um, how that name is is represented in the real world so I'm not going to have you for example which is what happened I'm not going to have you do an interview segment feature my artwork heavily and then only mention the author yeah that's not on Absolutely. that's that's not on like and that's what happened so um and this was at the bbc they did a um, interview with lenny henry about his upcoming book and during that period of time lenny during that interview um lenny spoke on the um he spoke on the importance of representation the story he was trying to tell and he used our book as a visual representation of how it's done and how it can be done well and successfully. And in this interview, which I had actually helped gather some children for, so they had children asking Lenny Henry some questions. And this is so crazy, my life is so crazy. So like I had been approached to help get the children and I got my friends to send me videos of their kids asking him a question, which then went live on air and the kids were asking him a question. And I got my niece, who is Rocket, when she was five, she was the person I based Rocket on. She's now 10. And I got her to ask Lenny a question, which then, which Lenny then proceeded to answer using visuals from her uncle's book. So it got really weird when that all happened, but then you're not mentioning me at all. So during the interview, Lenny and the interviewer, and again, this is not saying that Lenny did this intentionally this is literally this is the bbc's fault because he mentioned they both mentioned the book as nathan brian's book nathan brian's book but the thing i was hoping for wasn't even a mention it was a screen credit which is the easiest thing to do simply saying pictures by dapo adiola i'm happy with that i'm cool with that that's fine i don't need you blaring out my name i'd rather you didn't to be honest that credit just shows me that you did the thing that you're supposed to do when you're using my work you know as part of your content credit me that's all i ask and that's it and they didn't do that and that just really pissed me off and i was just like okay you know what this isn't on and then i i spoke to um sarah mcintyre who runs um something called pitches me business so it's a it's um what can i call it can i call it a a, a page it's a a, pro, a a movement let's call it a movement in illustration called pitches means business and um it's basically pictures mean business is about this it's all about crediting it's about crediting illustrators crediting translators crediting people that worked on the book and the reasons why things need to change so i spoke to her about this you know um and she was like yeah you, you are right to be annoyed by this and it's not on and then through that conversation i started to learn more 
platform, I went on Twitter about it and I started to learn about other people, many other illustrators who've worked in the industry who have just lived with this, not being credited. And it's crazy. You know, and it's, it's absolutely crazy. I heard some horrible stories from people. And then I just thought, you know what? It's not something that is, and it's visual artists, period. Like, it's not just illustrators. It's visual artists, period. Photographers, filmmakers, people that do anything visual, they just get the content news and yeah. it doesn't get credited yeah. like yeah. it should get credited. Yeah. So I decided, you know what? Let me put together this letter and I put together an open letter and I asked, um, you know, people to sign it, visual artists to sign it. And we were sitting at, last time I checked, something like close to 900 signatures and some a, a lot of amazing names were on this list and I was just like wow this is amazing it's so supportive and you know I'll be honest it didn't have the uh, there was no way of me knowing what level of impact it was going to have right so I don't think we did anything particularly groundbreaking but what it did do for me was it identified something that I decided I was going to focus on yeah. in my career which is the empowerment of illustrators and leveling that playing field so that we get equal billing like it needs to become common because a few things that were identified were you know like a few of my friends were like oh I didn't even know um that you, you should mention illustrators I'm like how could you not know and then I would ask people questions like okay name me six illustrators from the books that you read from things that you like visually and there's a blank you yeah. can name me six authors but you can't name me six illustrators yeah there's a blank and I'm like, that's bad. Your favorite book, you recognize that book instantly because of the cover. Someone drew that cover. You should know. To the cover, right? And illustrations. Literally to the visual, to the visual. Because if I rip the cover off, that emotional connection is gone. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. It's not even that it's gone. It's just harder to form because when you think about it visually, you visualize that image on the cover. You should know who drew that. Like if it's if it's etched into your brain like that, you should know who created that image. You know, you should know. You should want to know. You know, like if I have um, a particular author who I like to read, I know. Especially if I bought like a series of their books, I know who the artist is. I know who the artist is. You know, and I'm like, you should know that. And like when teachers read kids to um, read books to kids in schools get into the habit of mentioning Absolutely. the illustrators as well you're making like, me get into the habit of mentioning them you're making me think that my favorite book from last year is illustrated and i don't know the name of the illustrator and this now isn't again this isn't me this isn't me um coming at people and telling know, people off and it, wagging my finger this is me addressing right. something but like this is me right. addressing something that is is just so easily dismissed and taken for granted like and just just knowing who the illustrator is just remembering that person it goes a long way towards totally their does. career totally does because then you're aware of them like they're not just this and also it goes a long way towards cementing that illustration is actually a job it's a career images don't happen by magic we're not magical fairies that come at night and draw the pictures and then disappear yeah. like what the hell like this is a grueling job you know so yeah i hope i hope that's, today, that's now part of my journey i hope today makes a lot of people think because you see you just you just made me suddenly i was like wait a minute my favorite book from last year was fully illustrated and i don't remember 
who illustrated who the, it. The, off the top of your head, you don't know who the illustrator is. And, so and, this and is, I'm like, this I'm is, hoping yeah. that this will open the eyes of many, many people to. I'm hoping so too, because I'm not going to shut up for a long time. Like yeah. I'm just going to keep talking about it. Because like people, people know like your Quentin Blakes, they know uh, Tony Ross, they know uh, Ronald Searle, but there aren't. There are hundreds and thousands more illustrators who aren't given the platform that these people are given or given the profile that these people are given. So you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know who they are, but you're reading their books all the time, Absolutely. you know? And that's, that's wild to me. Like, how can you take in something consumed? And again, you know, it's, 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 um, it's symbolic of the times that we're in. We're in a content driven culture. So people tend to just take stuff in for the sake of absorbing it in and not really thinking, you know? We don't really, how much of the content that we consume do we really critically think about? You know, so for me asking you to remember the name of an illustrator might even be a far stretch, but it should be something that's done, you know? Absolutely. And I take a pledge here right now that I will forever and ever and ever pay attention to it and pass it on as well. If I'm sharing a book, it's not just, it oh, changes. It, yeah, it changes lives. You know, it, it really does because like just literally the, it's, it's so weird to say this and people think it, people underestimate it till they see it happen. Just the mere mention of someone's name. It's you've mentioned their name. Yeah, it's now and, out and in the world. It. And I know it. I'm a photographer. How yeah. many times have I not been credited? And then it comes to this and you're so right. Suddenly I was like, come on, Louise, just remember what's the name. You know, right. it. you've seen it many times on the cover. Remember. And I had to pick right. it up and see. And I was like, oh yeah, of course I knew it, but you're so right. right. And then, and then suddenly you're in a room having a conversation with somebody and they're showing you your own work and you're like, wow, this is awkward. <laughs> this is awkward. I told you my name earlier. You should have been able to guess that that's my work, but wow. this is awkward. Wow. Right, so, yeah. Wow. Well, people have gotten to know a little bit about your work, uh, a little bit about all the work that you have been doing outside of illustrating that is so important. Let's just go for something very just human on a level of what's your normal work ethic or what you do as in, you know, what's a normal work day for Dapo? <laughs> there is no such thing as a normal work day at the <laughs> moment that's a functioning work day. I am still trying to figure it all out. Um, a lot has happened in a short space of time. So I don't have what I would call a healthy work life balance at the moment I literally work all the time in some capacity um and what okay a normal day now and I use the word normal sparingly because of the time that we're in yeah. um yeah yeah I would okay so I've become a, we, we spoke about this earlier I've become a bit of a nocturnal animal so like I'll wake up at like two o'clock in the afternoon um I'll answer emails I might do a little bit of social media like promoting stuff and you know, responding to messages and stuff. Um, then I will do some visual research, looking at some stuff that I'm going to be working on, trying to get my head, head in the space. And then I might sort of take a break from doing all that stuff, binge watch something, a few episodes, chill, call somebody, do something, stretch my legs, and then I'll come back about 8 p.m. at night and then I'll get to work. And then I'll work through till about two in the morning um depending on what happens I might flag watch a few more episodes of something and then come back and do like an hour or so before I go to bed at like 6 a.m in the morning and that's my routine at the moment it is not healthy and I would not advise it to anybody and I am trying to shift it so that I'm awake at normal hours 
but that's a typical working day at the moment. Oh, well, if it works for you, it just works. Right. And also, you know, again, it's ever shifting because I'm still in the very beginning of my career. This is like what third year working now. It's, you know, it's ever shifting. And I'm like, hopefully when I'm like five or six years in and I have an actual workspace because at the moment I work in the front room of a flat that I share with two other people it's a three bedroom a two bedroom flat that I share with three other people uh, with two other people and um it's not idyllic so like I know that for example when I have my own space there's so much to be said for having your own space when I have my own space and I have a designated work area like that I think I'll be able to chill a bit more you know I'll, I'll be able to to kind of structure my day better that's what I think anyway yeah absolutely fingers crossed it's all gonna go well and do you have exciting projects that you're working on at the moment I have stupidly exciting projects I'm working on at the moment I'm currently working on a book I've written which will be my um my author debut um next year I can't speak at length about it but it's a very very interesting and I think never before done project um and I'm hoping that it comes out and it has the impact that I would love for it to have and I'm also hoping oddly enough that it doesn't have too much of a crazy impact because I don't like the rapid pace at which my life is constantly changing at the moment <laughs> um but I think it will come out I think it will do well um and I've also I'm also tying up a picture book which is soon to be announced with one of my favorite people in the whole world a lovely lovely author whose name I cannot mention at the moment because publishing likes to keep secrets um, and I've also got a book coming out, uh, Space Detectives, which is one of the books that I've propped my iPad up on, which oh. I'm going to try and <laughs> try and show you without damaging. I'm a bit of little... a space geek, you know, I love space yeah. stuff. So that's totally my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, so this comes out uh, in February 14th, about Valentine's Day. Oh, yay. And it's um, it's my author, my illustrator debut in the UK because um, I, I actually debuted with this book um, in 2019 in the US last wow. last day of summer written by Lamar Giles um, it's a very fun book but this is my UK um, debut as an illustrator for young fiction so that's coming out in February and then this book comes out end of April oh, um, wow. my dad is a grizzly bear so this is one of my favorite books that I've illustrated so far this comes out in April and then after those two come out my other two books that I mentioned will be coming out in the second half of the year and um, yeah and in the meantime I'm working on um, the second book in that series and the second book in the series of the other book I just showed you and I'm also working I've also got some other stuff coming up you have time to eat and sleep I do <laughs> I have time to eat I make time to sleep but I literally have time for nothing else and you know it's, it's weird to say this and I'm having to sort of address my offline work balance because there's a lot of stuff that because I opened my mouth and I said some things there's a lot of stuff that people are asking me to continue doing and I kind of have to decline now I have to learn how to say no because yeah. you want to help people but then there's only one you you know so yeah learning how to say no that's self-care yeah. well done well Dapo this has been amazing I'm gonna run you through a little uh run of like quick questions for you to answer because our time is also coming to an end so are you ready for this <laughs> I, I i've been thinking about one of them 
but ah. go, 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 go ahead. All right, all right. So um, your favorite word? That's the one I've been thinking about. <laughs> I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have a favorite word. I don't, can, can, can that be an answer? Cause I really, I love words. Like, so I, to have a favorite word, I don't think I have one. No problem, don't worry. Favorite book? Ooh, Jesus. Okay, so I would have to go for a book that always brings me um, brings me a semblance of peace when reading it. I've read it like hundreds of times. And this book I picked up when I was in my mid-teens and it's like a comfort blanket. And if you saw my copy of the book, you'd be like, oh, like it's worn the fuck out. Like it's called Midnight Falcon and it's written by my favorite fantasy author, David Gemmell, who's no longer with us, but um, it was like, it grounded me as a kid and I loved it. All right, I need to take a note of that because I need to read it. I need it. It's a good book. It's, it's part of a whole series. It's like the second book in the whole series. So it's a four book series, um, but it's my favorite book in the whole series. All right, I promise. I promise I'll look it up. All right. I'll be Last interested series. to hear your, uh, your thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my favorite genre has always been fantasy and young adult fiction. So that sounds just like my cup of tea. So uh, last series that you binged or are binging right now? Currently binging Cobra Kai. I'm on the third season. And it's interesting because I, I watched The Karate Kid as a kid. And it's just really interesting seeing what they've done, you know, um, how they've brought it up to date, how they've modernized it, how they've paid homage to the films that came before. So yeah, really All enjoying right. that right now. Cool. A cause you care for. I think I've spoken at great length yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> empowering, empowering illustrators and you know representation across the board, not just in books, just like representation in society, in the creative industry as well. Beautiful. Three pillars in your life. It can be people um, as well, because I saw, I saw beautiful uh, um, dedication. Is it dedication that you say in English for your grandma? My nan. Yeah. Is, it's my so nan lovely. is undoubted. She's undoubtedly a pillar in my life. Um, my nan, I want to say my work. And, you know, people look at stuff like this and be like, oh. but my work, I say my work because my work is my legacy to this world. So my work is a pillar. Um, in my life um, and I want to say my faith but I want to, to be clear that when I say my faith I mean faith in the truest sense I don't necessarily mean one particular religion I mean like my faith my faith my ability to trust in things in myself in people in in things my faith that's a pillar in my life I love having that. faith having faith beautiful yeah. Finish this sentence, please. Starting over is? Acceptable. Completely acceptable. Love it. Love it. Where can people find you? Best places to find me um, doing two different types of things. Um, I don't have a website yet, which is wild. I've never had one before. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Dapstraws, and that's at Daps, D-A-P-S-D-R-A-W-S. And I'll warn you now, um, if you're just after visuals and nothing else, Instagram's your best bet. If you like a little bit of, you know, lukewarm takes and just dad humor, Twitter's your best bet as there well. We go. Right. There we go. And who is then another Londoner that I should meet? 
and why? Oh, you you absolutely have to meet um, my friend Kalechi Okwafo. Kalechi is just an incredible, phenomenal force for good in this world that we live in. Um, you know, she she is she fights on behalf of others. She just yeah, she's just an, she's wildly outspoken. Um, but in the best way and yeah you, you absolutely have to meet this person like self-driven you know just kindest person like you know and and there's a difference I must stress there's a big difference between nice and kind nice to me is it speaks of a facade sometimes because I live in a society that's very nice but it's not kind um but she's kind like one of the kindest souls that you will ever meet so yeah that's yeah that's my nomination. Sounds just like my type of person. I will love her for sure. <laughs> well, and this has been wonderful. It's been wonderful to meet you. I completely forgot to turn on the lights in my living room. <laughs> uh, That's cool. I love I was like, it. Suddenly dark. <laughs> I, I, I love how relaxed this just whole thing is. That that that's my goal. So well, this has been wonderful. Wait, is, did it just go dark because it's gone dark outside? Yeah, I had no lights on in my living room. <laughs> that, trans that, that literal transition just switched just like that. Because like literally two minutes ago, it was like in. I know, in I know. I noticed it and I was like, eh, what the hell? Just let it happen. It's fine. I'm not going to interrupt this. It's too good to, cool. to interrupt. So it's all good. And no. this has been wonderful. It's been wonderful to, to, to meet you, to finally talk to you. And I'm so glad that Jacqueline brought us together. This has been really no, thank good. you. Like seriously, shout out to Jacqueline again for, for nominating me. Um, thank you for having me, man. It's been cool. It's been relaxed. It's been chilled. I didn't ramble half as much as I thought I would. It was perfect. Yeah, it's been cool. It was thank perfect. You. Thank you so much, Dapo. Cool. Yeah. Right, thanks. Bye, everyone. And that was it for today on 100 Londoners You Need to Meet. If you know someone who's incredible, who does something for others or who pivoted their life around during the pandemic or who is just the most wonderful human being you know, do not hesitate to email me on 100londoners at gmail.com. I am your host, Louisa Starling, and also for now the producer of this tiny podcast. Tabel Lopes is my friend who made the original soundtrack and... You know, doing this just keeps my heart warm and helps me still believe in the good that there is in human beings. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.